0: But we come this morning to the book of Ruth. Ruth is a small book compared to the giant books that surround it, but it is worth its weight in gold. I think of Ruth like an oasis in the desert. So you know, we've all seen those movies where somebody gets stranded or abandoned or deposited somewhere in the desert and they are walking through it, the sun's beating down on their heads, they're sweating, they're thirsty, they're just languishing, they're just barely going on. And then all of a sudden they find this oasis, this refuge, this salvation in the midst of the desert. And in many ways, that's how the book of Ruth functions in this part of the Old Testament. We, we have been reading story after story of tragedy and treachery and it's a lot of depressing material with hints of God's grace and His faithfulness, but God's people are not looking good at all. And we've had week upon week of that as we've been preaching through these books, but all of a sudden Ruth comes to the surface and is this beautiful picture of redemption in the midst of a sea of of tragedy and treachery. So if you turn to page 7 of your worship folder... I have uh, included there a melodic line for the the book of Ruth to help you in your own studies of it after today. And uh, I wrote there, The book of Ruth is like an oasis in the desert. After story upon story of grim narrative, treachery, and tragedy, uh, e.g. the bulk of numbers through judges, Ruth paints a picture of beautiful redemption. Not only does Ruth tell the story of how a Gentile woman became a part of the people of God, but it also shows how that same woman became a part of the lineage of King David and David's greater son, our Lord Jesus Christ. All of this is made possible by God's providential care through the loving kindness of Ruth's kinsman redeemer, Boaz. The book of Ruth is a picture of faith and beautiful redemption. And it is a welcome break from the treachery and tragedy that surrounds it on all sides. So we're going to stop and savor the, the beauty of redemption in this book before we dive back into First and Second Samuel and Kings and come to a lot of hard things that we're going to discover in the days ahead. Ruth is broken down into, it's in a narrative form, and the literary structure is divided into four short narrative sections. So each chapter, as it works out in this book, is one of those narrative sections, one, two, three, and four. And we will walk through those uh, this morning. The structure of the message will simply be to tell the story, this beautiful redemption, and the first part. And then we will draw some connections to the New Testament in the second part and see how the New Testament views Ruth and what we can glean by way of uh, New Testament hopes and promises. So please keep your Bible open to Ruth. We're going to work through uh, this book today and I hope that you will find refreshment and encouragement and see God's providential glory in this book. So we come to Ruth, and Ruth opens up and tells us that we are in the days of the judges, the days of the judges. Let me read these first um, five verses in chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife. Naomi, And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about 10 years and both Malon and Chilean died so that the woman was left without her sons and her husband. And so Ruth sets the scene and it, it appears like we might be looking at another tragic story at this point. As you recall, what is the great theme in Judges, right? Everyone did what was right and what? In, the, in their own eyes. In those days there was no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And last week we saw how a whole nation went blind and uh, Samson even became that physical description of that blindness when he his eyes are gouged out by the Philistines. And uh, time and time again, Israel would be saved by a judge, but then they would fall away. And, and when that judge died, they'd be worse than the generation before. It's so all of Judges is this downward spiral uh, going into the moral and religious abyss. And in the midst of this, we are told that the story of Ruth takes place. We're not told where in the Judges cycle uh, this happens, but there's a man named Elimelech. And uh, ironically, his name means God is king. God is king. El-, El, the word for God, and then Melech is the word for king. So this man whose name is God is king leaves the promised land and goes to the pagans. And right there in a, in itself is a Uh, A marvelous and true picture of what the whole state of Israel is doing during the days of the judges. They're on the service saying God is king, but they're going to the pagans and worship and idolatry. They're participating in these very evil cultic fertility rites to try to get God to bless them. And what does God do when they do that? He hands them over to the enemies and he gives them nothing but misery. And so we are told that there's a famine in the land of Canaan at this time because Israel is abandoning God. And so the man whose name is, my, is God is king leaves God and goes to Moab to try to find prosperity there, see if we can do any better with the Moabites and their, their gods, uh, presumably. And while they are there, uh, the man looking for food dies. He finds nothing but death. Uh, And in fact, their whole family finds nothing but death in Moab. Because not long after Elamelech's death, 10 years, both of his his only two sons die as well. Um, Before that, they married. They did what was completely unthinkable and uh, a a complete violation of the law of God. Uh, Elamelech married his sons off to two pagan women to two foreign women named Orpah and Ruth. And the result of all of this is death. Death. Nothing. So then what is Naomi to do? She is left completely bereft of life in the land of Moab, outside of the promised land where God said he would bless his people and to think about it in her day in those in those days there was no pension plan you know we don't have uh, uh, you know Moab does, didn't have the kind of pension plan that Norway has for example you know there there was nothing your family was the pension plan your children were the pension plan and particularly the sons who would provide for the parents in their old age so Naomi is, is left without, as it were, anything in the bank uh, and no, no promise of any future at all. And so as the narrative in chapter 1 goes along, we, we, we read that Naomi hears that, uh, that the harvest is going well. She hears that there's, there's food in the land, so she decides to go back to Bethlehem where her home was. Uh, the the writer of Ruth also, and in, in ultimately in the providence of God, tells us some wonderful things even by the meaning of names in the story. And Bethlehem means the house of bread. So she hears that there's a good harvest, so she goes back to the house of bread after being utterly bereft in Moab. So she returns during the barley harvest, but she looks and she sees her two uh, Moabite daughter-in-laws, and she, she knows that they have absolutely no future with her. So she tells uh, Orpah and Ruth, go back to your families and remarry. Find, find someone else that you might have a, a good life. And uh, both of them uh, say, no, we'll go with you. But then uh, Naomi insists that they return, so Orpah goes back. But Ruth decides to stay. Ruth decides to stay. And in uh, verses 16 and following, we read one of the most beautiful professions of faith that we see in all of the scriptures. And Ruth, as a pagan Moabite who could have gone back, and said, okay, I'll find someone else to marry, instead decides to go to a land that she's never been to before, to a people that are on paper her enemies, and to make Naomi's God, her God, her people. She says, my people. And we read in in verses 16 and following, but Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be... My people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. The words as and I hope you've picked up on some of these things as we've worked through the Holy Scriptures together, Ruth is using covenant language here. We've heard God promise to his people, I will be your God, you will be my people, I will dwell in the midst of you. And that's the great promise that God makes and reiterates time and time again in the Old Testament, continues in the New Testament all the way to the book of Revelation, chapter 21. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, I will be their God and he will be my, they will be my people. This great theme is expressed even in this pagan Gentile woman While the Israelites are in the land committing gross idolatry and abandoning faith and breaking the covenant, this Gentile woman gets it. This pagan woman gets it. And she says, your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. I mean, what a beautiful picture of faith and commitment to the Lord, and to his people. And what would that look like in the church if we viewed it that way? Like a family, we as the people of God are a family deeper than even our blood kin, And say, your people, my people, your God, my God. May nothing but death depart me from, from you. I mean, what a beautiful commitment from a A woman who is on paper the enemy of God and yet gets it. And God, in his providence, uses this pagan woman to shame the people of God that should know better. With this beautiful picture of faith and, and covenant loyalty to Naomi and to the God of Israel. And so Ruth returns with Naomi on pure faith, nothing else, that whatever fate Naomi's would be, that would be Ruth's as well. But she commits to go, and at the end of chapter 1, we, they return to Bethlehem, and we're told it's at the beginning of the barley harvest. So what is going to happen from this faith of this pagan woman who becomes an Israelite by faith and who becomes loyal to Yahweh? Well, we start then in chapter 2 and they need to figure out how to get food. How, I mean, Naomi, doesn't, she doesn't have any business she doesn't, and she has no sons to work. Um, how are they going to get any food? And God made provision for p- the poor in the land by his law that the Israelites were not allowed to harvest all the way to the edges of their field that would allow poor people to be able to go through the field and to harvest grain for themselves. It's actually an interesting system. It was not a handout system where the poor didn't have to do anything and the food would be brought to them. They had to do something to earn the food, to have the right to eat. But Israel was to make a provision, make a way for the poor to be able to um, glean food and feed for themselves and it's a it's a it's a timely lasting principle for us that we should have margin in our budgets and in our business and in our ministries for the needs of the people. We should have margin and not burn up all of our resources to the very edge right We need to have provision for those things and so uh Ruth, or uh, excuse me, Naomi remembers that I have a relative. She tells Ruth, "I have a relative, and you should go. He's a a redeemer, and you should go into this field." So, so in the start of chapter two, we read: Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, "Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find." favor and so naomi says to her go my daughter and so ruth sets out into the field and just starts gleaning and then along comes boaz and uh, boaz looks out he sees his workers and the other uh the the other young uh, his other young women who are there working and then he sees ruth he's like who who is this lady So uh, we read in verse 5, Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who is in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from the early morning until now except for a short Rest. So Ruth is busily, industriously working in the field, and then Boaz goes to meet her. And what we find out is that uh, Boaz shows Ruth great kindness because Boaz had heard of the great kindness and loyalty that she showed to Naomi. So word is getting around of Ruth's kindness, probably all the more because this is a very unkind period for Israel during the days of the judges. And we see this beautiful picture of loving kindness that Boaz shows to Ruth. And he tells her in verse 11, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the lord the god of israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge and then we read and ruth responds and we go on and ruth or boaz sends her home to naomi with arms filled with with wheat So Boaz sends her back with this ample provision back to Naomi. And Ruth comes to Naomi, and Naomi rejoices. She praises the Lord. Um, She says, she rejoices that Ruth found favor, she says, in the eyes of the Lord. In the eyes of the Lord. And again, we have this connection to the book of Judges, right? Because Israel kept doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And that was repeated again and again and again. And everyone was doing right in their own eyes. But here, all of a sudden, we have this pagan Moabite woman who did right in the eyes of the Lord and has found favor in his eyes. And uh, more than that, in in chapter 2, Ruth is also told by Boaz, stay in my fields, keep working in my fields, Uh, stay close to my people. Because remember, these are days of rape and horrible things, as as we read about the book of Judges that ended. Ruth was not necessarily safe being in some random guy's field, even among the people of God. And so he says, stay besides." My people, close to my young men until you have finished until they have finished all my harvest. And so we see from chapter one, Naomi is completely bereft in the land of Moab. So they go back to Bethlehem, the house of bread, to get food. In chapter two we see that Ruth, in that faithful obedience, experiences the loving kindness, abundant provision for not only herself, but for Naomi as well through the Redeemer, Boaz. And now in chapter 3, we're going to see how Ruth gets rest by the Redeemer. So in chapter 2, she experiences loving kindness. Now in chapter 3, she's going to experience rest. In chapter 3 begins, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you? And she replied, all that you say, I will do. So Ruth gets herself ready and she goes down to the threshing floor, the place where all of the the produce is processed. And uh, she uh, uncovers his feet and Boaz, startled, wakes up. And he says in verse 9, who are you? And she answered, "I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. For you are a redeemer. And I'm going to pause there and just talk about what a redeemer means for a second. What is this idea of a redeemer or a kinsman redeemer? God made provision that every male in Israel um, would be have the right to let their line or their posterity continue." even if they died childless. So if, if, a, if a man in Israel died childless, his closest relative could marry his widow and have children by her in the name of the, of the relative, right? So that the, that the man who died, his name could continue going on and this was a way to keep the inheritance spread out among all the people. It was a way to prevent like one family from like buying up more and more of other people's land and property and taking over and being elevated among everyone else. And this was something that God had provided for to care also for widows uh, as well so that they would not be left bereft and starving. And so she pleads for mercy before Boaz. And Boaz responds to Ruth, this pagan Moabite widow. And he said, May you be blessed by Yahweh. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. the relief that you would feel if you were this widow who just did this bold act to request this man who you just met not very long ago to redeem you. And you're not, you're not a worthy Israelite woman in, held up in high esteem among all the people. You are a pagan Moabite who has come under the wings of Yahweh. But you're an outsider and you're a widow. You have nothing to bring at all. And he says, I will do it. Just rest at my feet. The Redeemer provides rest for Ruth. And she goes back and uh, Boaz gives more provision for Ruth and she brings that back to Naomi. And uh, Naomi again rejoices and she says, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest but we'll settle the matter today. The man will not rest. So this idea of rest bookends chapter 3. So then we are all waiting then with bated breath. What is going to happen? One thing I want to say before we get to chapter 4 is Boaz is showing Ruth a word that in Hebrew is called hesed, which means covenant faithfulness, or sometimes it's translated as loving kindness, or sometimes it's translated as steadfast love. This word hesed is used a lot. We sing of it a lot in the Psalms, for example, hesed. And Boaz is showing hesed to Ruth. The Lord is showing hesed to Ruth. But we are also told that Ruth is showing hesed to Boaz that she is being faithful as well. So in uh, in 3:10 when Boaz says, "May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness. This is the word hesed. This okay. last hesed greater than the first. And I think he's pointing back to Ruth's commitment to Naomi where she professes faith and shows loyalty, hesed, so that the word hesed is not used in chapter 1, but it is implied by her act. This last hesed is greater than the first. So we come then to chapter 4, and chapter 4 opens up with Boaz uh, gathering ten elders and the Redeemer that's closer to him. And so it was customary to do these kinds of transactions before witnesses. So you gather some elders from the city or from the town, set them there, you bring the redeemer and, or whoever you're going to buy property from or whatever you're doing, and you make the deal, and then those guys bear witness to it. So they weren't signing legal contracts like we today, but you had people that attested to the veracity of the deal that was made okay? And so Boaz gathers this guy, brings them together, and he says, hey, there's a there's a widow in the land, and uh, she has uh, some lands, Elimelech's land, and uh, do you want to buy it? Do you want to redeem it? You're closer than me. And he says, yeah. So in my words, I think he's thinking, hey, that sounds like a good deal. I'll take some more property. Give me some more land. That's fine. But then, then uh, boaz gives him the fine print he said well also there's this moabite widow that comes with the land and uh you need to have children by her you know because you're the redeemer and then this guy says ah i can't do that essentially and he and he says the reason why uh well let, let me read let me read you the reason why so um I lost my verse here. Hold on a second. Verse 6. Thank you, Peter. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So then the guy's like, oh, this is not a good deal anymore because if you, if you take on as a Redeemer someone else's uh, wife, then you're giving part of your inheritance to that person, your relative. Your relative which should be something that you ought to do. You ought to care for your relatives. But he's like, ah, that's too steep a price. I'm not going to do it. That's also a fantastic picture of Israel in this day, where they're all doing what's right in their own eyes and living for themselves and not caring for the community. And so the guy rejects the deal, and Boaz takes it on. And they go through this custom of handing the sandal So the guy is a a sign before the witnesses that this deal has been made. And then we are told that Boaz marries Ruth. We read in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her a conception and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. What a beautiful picture we have here. And even before this, the women said uh, and blessed Ruth. uh, And uh, let me give it to you here in verse, uh, verse 11 and following. Then all the people who were at the gates and the elders said we are witnesses may the lord make the woman who is in who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah who together built up the house of Israel so they're saying may you be like the women who produced the very founders of Israel and Naomi's rejoicing in this the women around her is rejoicing in this. You can imagine the grandmas sitting around rejoicing with the other grandma. You have a a child. You have a child. And not only that, Naomi as the grandmother is going to be the one who nurses the child. We're told she picked up Obed and she nursed him as well. What a beautiful picture of life being restored to Naomi through Ruth. And these grandmas sitting around or these women that are sitting around, they say, he shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. So look at where we've come in this story then. We've come full circle to Naomi being bereft, having nothing in a pagan land, being the very picture of death itself. We have Ruth who is this model of Hesed covenant faithfulness, and goes back with Naomi and becomes the means by which the Lord blesses Naomi and restores Naomi to life as a widow who, who all the process looks like she was going to die in poverty and misery. And all of that happens through the kinsman redeemer, Boaz. So we have this picture of a redeemer, of a of, of faithful person of God, of someone that was in the pits because of the days of judges and the faithlessness of being in Moab who is restored to life at the end of it through faith and through a Redeemer and someone that will provide for her in her old age. It's it's the picture of of peace and prosperity. Then Ruth ends by linking us that not only, not only, is Ruth and Naomi redeemed and restored and they have a good a lot in life now but not only that the Lord will use this pagan gentile woman to be a grandmother to David a grandmother i should say a great grandmother excuse me uh, the great grandmother to david cuz obed is the grandfather of david and so we end with this genealogy pointing ruth's lineage and connecting it to king david so now before we get to the new testament we see the uh, the wisdom of ruth being placed in this time when in judges ends with in those days there was no king Israel did what was right in their own eyes. And in 1 Samuel, David's going to be coming, the Lord's king. And right here we show how. Did Israel get a king because they were really good? No, they were awful. The Lord had to use a pagan woman and a worthy man in Israel to produce the line that would go to David. So in closing then, how do we view this book in light of the New Testament. I want to give you a few brief things. What can we see in light of the New Testament? Number one, Ruth is Jesus' great-grandmother, the ultimate redeemer of the husband of his people. So let me say that again. Ruth is Jesus' grandmother, many times removed, but I'm putting it that way. Ruth is Jesus' grandmother, the ultimate redeemer and husband of his people. We learn that mo- much more important than David being an heir of Ruth in Boaz is that Jesus is the heir of Ruth in Boaz. And when the people of the town said, may you be like uh like Rachel and Leah who built up the house of Israel, Ruth's line will be the line that builds up the house of God, the Jew-Gentile people of God. So their words became far more true than they could have ever imagined. The Messiah would come through a pagan woman who showed faith and covenant loyalty to God. And the gospel writers, Matthew and Luke, make this connection. Matthew, for example, says in uh, Matthew 1 5, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David the king. And so we see this beautiful connection in Jesus' genealogy going back to Ruth. Not only does Jesus come of that line, but he's also the ultimate redeemer from Ruth and David's line. So Boaz is a picture of a redeemer. But his descendant is going to be the ultimate redeemer. Zechariah rejoices in his prophecy in Luke 1, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. In this house and redemption language Galatians 3:13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Titus 2 this picture of hesed this loving kindness to or, excuse me Titus 3:14 uh, that God who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Not only is Jesus the ultimate redeemer, which in Acts they say salvation. There is no salvation. But in him, he's also the ultimate husband of this beautiful redemption. Boaz's marriage to Ruth is just beautiful on so many levels but how much more his descendant, who is the ultimate husband of his people. Paul says in Ephesians 5, Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy. And without blemish. So Ruth and Boaz, Ruth in this beautiful picture of redemption, produce the ultimate picture as Jesus, the ultimate redeemer and the ultimate husband of his people. So another thing the New Testament points out is that the Lord is building his house through a former pagan's offspring. The Lord is building his house through a former pagan's offspring. So I've already mentioned a little bit of this. The the town rejoices. May you be like Rachel and Leah who built up the house of Israel. Well, what did Jesus do? He built up his own house that is made up not just of Jews, but of Gentiles as well. In Ephesians 2 we read, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, this is like Ruth, who was once far off, a pagan without hope. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments, express in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Therefore, he goes on, he says, Therefore, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So in Jesus's work, he took us who were pagans, who were far off. And look at our church, what a beautiful picture of us being people scattered around the globe. He took us who were far off without hope and without God in this world and united us together like he united Ruth to the people of God through Christ. Christ. I don't think we think about the hopelessness of our situation enough. We presume upon our salvation too much. Think about our estate before Christ, without hope and without God. But like Ruth, we were made into the household of God through the Messiah. Three, Ruth is a model of genuine faith turning from idolatry to covenant loyalty to Hesed, And again, I've already touched on this, so I won't say much, but Ruth in in chapter 1, verse 16 to 17, those are words to memorize. Those are words to memorize because they're a beautiful picture of faith, of what our loyalty to God and to his people should look like. Your people, my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. How would the church be transformed today? if we had that picture of covenant loyalty? How would the church, how would our community be transformed today if we had that kind of picture? Is there a protest going on outside, it appears? I see people protesting here. uh, Okay. How would Stavanger be changed today if we showed that kind of loyalty I'm going to close with one final thing here. God's covenant faithfulness towards his people never fails. God's covenant faithfulness towards his people never fails. We see in Ruth chapter 2, and Naomi says, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. God's kindness, Yahweh's kindness, has not forsaken the dead. And we come to the New Testament and we see this in spades, both in our temporal needs as well as our eternal needs. Jesus tells his disciples, do not be anxious, Matthew 6, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He knows what you need. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's exactly what Ruth did. She just went with Naomi. No hope, no prospects, but she just went by faith, and all these things were added. She sought the kingdom of God, and all these things were added. Jesus says in Matthew seven, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? God will provide his covenant faithfulness, never ends. But how much more Then temporal needs like the food and the clothing that we need will be in eternal matters. Titus 3. But when the goodness and loving kindness, that Hesed, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Book of Ruth is all about moving from death to life. And what makes the difference? Faith and the guiding hand of God's providence to give us a Redeemer. If we want life If we want our temporal and our eternal matters to be met as they should, place your faith like Ruth in the God of Israel, in our Lord Jesus Christ, the ultimate Redeemer and husband of his people. And you will never want for anything that you truly need. Let's pray.